Yeah, it's good to see you guys made it in. I was like worried people were gonna be like floating by the church this morning. Nobody, nobody built an ark, I guess. Gosh, Derek got out. He parked right next to uh, Lake Superior out there. I was like, man, you're gonna need some waiters to get into the building, man. Ah, but it's okay. We can praise God despite all of this rain, right? Because you know what? I was actually, uh, there was bears all around our house uh, in, the, in our neighborhood and up and down the spur road this week. And I, I heard about it. Uh, Linda was texting me because she's got a bunch of animals. She's, and so they're like, you know, nosing around her place. And she'd let us know, hey, watch, you know, watch out for the kids because uh, there's bears around. And she said, picture this big monster grizzly bear print. And I was like, oh man, you know what? Pretty, uh, I'm pretty grateful, I'm pretty thankful for the rain, uh, keeping the kids inside the house right now with all these bears running around. So, you know, it's all about your perspective. <sighs> Today we are, uh, we're celebrating, we're coming to about the middle of this uh, journey uh, as we are preaching through the books of the Bible. If you remember, in January of 2022, uh, we kicked it off with our Gen X series, preaching in Genesis and Exodus. And here we are, September 23, we're launching a four-week sermon series in the middle book of the Bible, the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms is a portion of Scripture. If you don't know, it, it, this portion of Scripture, it expresses every experience of emotion you can have in your heart. Uh, no matter what mood you find yourself in, no matter what emotion you may be experiencing, there is a psalm that will likely reflect your mood. Uh, the psalms, they are largely uh, prayers and declarations that are poetically uh, written and put to music. And they were and they still are uh, used to corporately worship our God. So with that in mind, we're going to be approaching this study in the Psalms from this angle of discovering healthy, heartfelt expression. And as we examine some of these melodies that matter, we'll be thinking like about our modern music. Our modern music can be looked at like there's so many different genres of music out there. I was Googling it the other day. I was like, there's like way too many for me to even comprehend uh, all the different categories you can put music into. And uh, I, I like to be able to put things in boxes. I like to organize things. So when I, I, I've, I've studied the Psalms a lot and I've, I've taught through the Psalms and I'm always like trying to put, okay, uh, this Psalm is in this category and this Psalm is in this category and you know, uh, they, they mix up. They spill over into each other. It's very hard to put all the Psalms in a specific category. But over the next uh, four weeks, we're going to be looking at the Psalms and we're gonna be uh, studying them uh, by category over four broad categories uh, that they can be separated into. Next week, Josh O'Donnell will be up here uh, and he will be preaching on Psalms of Lament. Uh, then the following week, we'll be uh, doing Psalms of Thanksgiving and we'll be ending with the wisdom psalms, some of my favorite. Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at praise psalms. And as we are immersing ourselves in this emotional anthology of music, 
Uh, today we're gonna look at how David, this shepherd boy who turned king and many other authors even over about a thousand year period expressed themselves at their specific time in human history. And as we look at these over the next four weeks, we're gonna be asking ourselves, how do we express ourselves out loud in a cancel culture world? This week, we'll be doing this in a sermon series that I've called uh, Proper Posture is Posh. Julie has been up here so often, her British terminology is starting to rub off on me. But don't worry, like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not moving. You don't have to cancel me. Uh, I still prefer coffee in my mug. Still prefer the tea to be in the harbor, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this idea of cancel culture, it's this, it's this social posture uh, that any controversial uh, speech, anything that doesn't live up to the social norm, any behavior that people just don't like, that they see in you, they must punish you severely for it through uh, public shaming, silencing, boycotting, and even going as so far as to bankrupt people. Basically, if you have been canceled, your influence, your presence, your reputation is blotted out. Pretty much your life is over. You may as well just, if you get canceled, you may as well change your name, move to the other side of the world, go with Mike on a missions trip to Nepal and just stay there. Uh, because <laughs> Mike is excited about that. It's like, I can have a nice American place to go to when I'm over there. He needs to suffer while he's over there a little bit. Uh, if you get canceled, there is no hope for you. It's no longer sufficient in our culture to just disagree with people. We can't, uh, it doesn't seem like we can just discuss ideas in a civil manner. If you don't like a person uh, for what they stand for, you just simply cancel them. But let's think about this. Why would you seek to cancel someone? Why would you seek to silence someone's voice? just because you don't disagree with them, or just because you don't agree with them. If you want to silence your opposition, it's probably because you know that your argument doesn't live up. Your argument can't logically stand on its own. You can't live in harmony with someone who disagrees with you. You can't be civil with someone so you seek to silence them. Like you, you live in this fear that maybe I am wrong. So whoever opposes me, uh, whoever has a different perspective than me, they don't get a say. If you don't parrot my rhetoric, you must be silent. When it comes to this idea of praise, when it comes to the Psalms of praise, it's the perspective of King David that we should adopt. And if we, as the church, if we are, as believers, if we are gonna embrace cancel culture in any way, it should be like this. We should cancel any other posture of praise other than the one that David shares with us here in this psalm. In Psalm 145, 
verse three, David writes, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. David here, he's praising God for how great he is. David is proclaiming that the greatness of God is so great that any other object of our praise, it's only God who is most worthy of our praise. Because in this lifetime, we will never fully realize to the, ex the extent of the greatness of our Lord. It's only him who is worthy to be praised. Oftentimes, it's our perspective that can be a problem when it comes to the idea of praise. And instead of, instead of praising God for who he is, sometimes we like to praise him because he rescued us. We like to praise him because he answered a prayer and neither of those things are wrong. We should praise him in those moments. Those moments are prayers of thanksgiving and they should be celebrated. And we're gonna talk about those in a couple weeks. But sometimes we get that twisted. Sometimes we praise God because we want something, because we desire something. We, we wanna arm wrestle God into answering our prayer in a specific way uh, so we Give him our praise in those moments. We try to butter him up, right? Our praise should be born out of who God is, not what we want him to do. So with this fear of being canceled and ostracized by our friends and, and, and neighbors and, and being, being blotted out by our community, because maybe we express different values because we align our, our adoration towards the one true God. With this, with this idea in mind, how do we experience the fullness of joy? How do we find freedom in the abundant life that Jesus promised that we could have? How can we express our faith in the way that God called us and created us to be with this looming fear that if we do, we could get canceled. And King David, who is, he's a, King David is attributed with writing 75 Psalms. That's exactly half of the Psalms that were written by David. 73 of the, of the Psalms uh, that you find in scripture 73 of them have David's name as the author. And then in two more in Hebrews and in Acts, uh, coincidentally, both in chapter four of those books, he's attributed as, as, to writing two other Psalms. So David is the author of at least half of the Psalms. Several of them are anonymously written. I think David, he understood what it was like to live under a cancel culture. He lived in fear of being canceled. Think about it. His father acted like he didn't exist when the prophet Samuel came and asked Jesse, hey, can I have dinner with you and all of your sons? David wasn't invited to the table. His brother Eliab sought to silence him on the day 
on that day when David slain Goliath in the Valley of Elah, when David saved the nation of Israel for the first time. And then when King Saul's jealousy outgrew his own personal restraint, he sought to end David's existence, the ultimate cancellation. David wrote this that we should consider in Psalm chapter 34. He wrote, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David expresses the same sentiment all throughout scripture. Multiple times he expresses the same thing and he makes this vow to constantly praise and honor God. The superscription of Psalm 34, it tells us the occasion in which David wrote this psalm. Psalm 34, it says, of David when he changed his, fa- his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and went away. And maybe you don't remember this story I love the stories that we get to look at that are behind the Psalms. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, Saul had again sought to cancel David, sought to kill him. And finally, this attack forces David to flee the kingdom in fear that that Saul is finally going to succeed in killing him. David has this thought. He's like, if Saul is now my enemy, maybe my enemy's enemy will be my friend. And clearly, he doesn't take into account his own personal history with the Philistines. And so David flees to Gath, the hometown of who? Goliath, thank you. Somebody's been in, this, in the word. Good job. You should teach Sunday school. You, or maybe we should teach these guys. David flees to Gath and he seeks aid from their king. David gets there and he senses that he's not welcome there. He's like, I think the only reason that these people are excited to see me right now, because now they have the chance to kill me. And he realizes he made a mistake the Philistines wanted to cancel David. So facing capture, facing certain death, David pretends to be insane. And in that culture, he knew that if you were insane, the people wanted nothing to do with you because they thought that you were cursed by God and they wouldn't even touch you. They, would, they were in fear that their gods would then curse them. So what could have been a disaster for David What could have ended in his capture and death ended with his deliverance from the Philistines. So here in this Psalm that David writes to mark this occasion, David doesn't whine and wail about his persecution. He gives thanks to God. He says, thank you, Lord, for protecting me. He praises God and he reinforces what we learned from David earlier, that God is great. God is great and greatly to be praised and we should praise him at all times, even if it seems 
impossible, even if it doesn't seem to make sense to us because maybe if we praise God here in this moment, in this room, uh, around these people, they might cancel us. They might ostracize us. Maybe they will boycott us. Maybe they will demean and defame us. You know what? It would be an honor. I, I think it would be an honor to die a martyr's death. They can cancel you. They can tell you to shut up. They can defame you. They can ostracize you. You know what they can't do? They cannot cancel your praise. Your posture of proceeding in this life in praise, it cannot be canceled. Praise is eternal. Praise is where God's presence is. Praise is the place where God's presence dwells. Psalm chapter 22, David writes this in verse three, speaking of God, he says, yet you are holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel. Julia, Julia will tell you that the King's English, it's, it reads this verse this way. It says, God inhabits the praises of Israel. It means that God dwells in the praises of his people. The kingdom of God, you know, it exists in two dimensions. It exists here in this physical dimension on earth and it exists in the heavenlies. It exists in the spiritual realm. When we all get into heaven, there will be nothing that we have to do to experience the presence of God. We will forever be in his presence. Here on earth, we can have God's kingdom lived out in us and through us. We can experience God's presence by recognizing that Jesus is who he says he was. The gospel is true. And you can pledge your allegiance to it. You can pledge your allegiance to Jesus as Lord of all. It is a choice that you can make and become a believer. And as believers, his presence is always in us. His presence is always with us, but we still must choose to consciously cultivate his presence in our life day by day. You have to bring him into your life every day in your living. And we do this by properly posturing ourselves in a position of praise. Fix your mind on the Lord. You can pray to him. You can sing to him. Be thankful for who he has been in your life. Be thankful for who you know him to be. Declare who he is in your life. If praise is where his presence dwells, when we praise him, it puts us in proximity to him. Praise will put us in proximity to God's presence. Psalm 100 verse four says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. One choice we make is to cultivate God's presence. When we do that, we cultivate God's presence. We do that by choosing to praise him. When we express our praise to God, it brings our focus on him. It brings our attention onto him and not our problem, which leads us to intimately experiencing his presence. Remember what David wrote in Psalm 34. We were just there. He said, magnify the Lord 
exalt his name. We make God bigger in our lives. His power becomes greater in our lives. The light of God, the light of the gospel will shine brighter in our lives when our focus is not on ourselves, not on our problems, not what we're dealing with, but it's on him and his greatness. That is what will captivate our hearts to the Lord. When we put our mind, our focus, our attention on him, it captivates our heart and it puts us in proximity to him. Praise, it's not something that God needs from us for him to to feel good about himself. He doesn't need our praise. We need our praise. We need our praise to God. Praising God is for us. It keeps you in the environment of his presence. That's where we function best. The more we praise him, the more we will effectually grow. The more we grow spiritually, the more we are conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus, praise should result in our personal growth. David, as he writes uh, Psalm 69, the 69th Psalm, he's writing it, it starts off, it's largely written in this dark tone as, as David is lamenting his circumstances and he's, he's casting many complaints onto the Lord and he's contending with God that God would deal harshly in judgment towards the people that are oppressing David. And throughout uh, this song, David, he writes things like, my throat and my eyes, they are hurting because of my crying out to you, God. I'm tired, God, of waiting on you to show up and deal with this. Everyone, everyone I know, even the drunks, they're gossiping about me. These people, Lord, who are oppressing me, Lord, would you just let your burning anger fall on them? Desolate the place where these people dwell, Lord. Erase them from existence and withhold your salvation from them. That's heavy. That's that's brutal. David is, he's feeling some deep hurts. He's got some heavy stuff going on right here. He's clearly been hurt. And if we read the narratives of his life, he's experienced some hurtful, trying, hard times. Instead of going after his attackers here in this instance, he takes his complaining to the Lord and he gets real and he gets honest and he just gives the Lord his unfettered raw emotion. You know, sometimes we feel some things and we feel like shameful and embarrassed that we feel angry about something or, or somebody hurt us and we just, oh, I wanna get back at them You know, it's not a sin to have emotions. It's not a sin to feel things. The Lord gave you those feelings, but they should should not cause us to react. It should guide us in what we should do. And we should choose to take those feelings to the Lord. When we experience that extreme emotion, it's not a sin. Those are the moments where we can enter into sin, absolutely. 
if we dwell on those things, if we start fantasizing about what we want the outcome to be, you know, our own personal thing, when somebody hurts us, like, oh, I, I just, oh, I wanna do the unspeakable, you know, those things that you don't wanna tell me about or anyone else. Like, we should not squawk about those things to everyone that we encounter. Our thoughts and our feelings and everything that triggers us the way we act, the way we react to those emotions, that can result in sin. That's when we take our thoughts captive. That's when we take them and we lay them at the feet of the Lord. And that's what David is doing in this psalm. He's emoting in a very extreme way to God. And in, but in verse 29, there's a shift. David writes, but I am afflicted and in pain. He recognizes something wrong here. I'm speaking this way because I'm hurt. He says, let your salvation, O God, set me on high. David comes to the recognition. I'm, I feel this way because I'm broken, I'm hurting. That's why I'm saying these things. But Lord, you have saved me. You have brought me salvation. And let the thought of your saving grace, the testimony, Lord, of your goodness, let that be what raises my spirit up in this moment. Let that set my perspective on higher things. David continues in the next verse, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. David does hear what is posh. He takes up a proper perspective. He ends this melancholy, dark, foreboding song with triumph and thanksgiving in praising the one true living God when he shifts his perspective. And as he does that, you see that he grows spiritually and he praises God. I think he matures in this moment. He realizes, I need to, take my thoughts captive. I need to take them to the Lord. And David begins to proclaim God's goodness. He begins to proclaim who he knows God to be. Our praise should proclaim who God is. I'm gonna read you now the entirety of Psalm 117, so buckle up. It says, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you people, for great is his love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's it. Psalm 117 is actually the shortest chapter in all of scripture. Uh, coincidentally, two chapters later, we encounter Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in all of scripture. And I won't read that to you today. Paul quotes Psalm 117 in the New Testament uh, when he's writing his letter to the church in Rome. He does it because Paul knows that our praise of God, when we praise God for who he is, what he's done, it makes him known to the nations. It makes him known to those who are currently unreached with the gospel. In praising God, we Tell other people about his goodness. Praising the Lord 
to do it properly, we have to remember things that he's done. We praise God for the miracles he's done in our life, as well as the judgments that he has given us in our life. Because even those hard things that we have to walk through, they're just as good as the miracles because they result in our personal growth with the Lord. It results in a deeper or should result in a deeper relationship if you're walking it out well. Both of those things, his miracles and his judgments, they are both deserving of praise. In our praises, we should remember that he is faithful. We should remember his faithfulness to us in our life and his promises. All people everywhere should see that God is worthy of our praise based solely on the fact of who he is. Even nature is called to praise God. We call upon God, when we call upon God for salvation, we know that he's the only one who can rescue us. And our response to his deliverance should be to praise him. God is to be praised from everlasting to everlasting. Praising the Lord is something that we should continually do in our lives. It is our offensive weapon in the spiritual battles that we faced. It's only God and praising him in the battles that brings true victory. Our praise will pacify the enemy. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, he's informed that not one, not two, but three armies are coming to attack him and they've surrounded Judah. The nation is about to go under a big attack. Jehoshaphat realizes in this moment, we are outgunned, we are outmanned, we are outnumbered and outplanned. Jehoshaphat, he doesn't take a stand. He knew that any hope of success was fleeting and he falls flat on his face before the Lord. And he says, Lord, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. The only thing we can really do. Instead of mustering up the military to take an all-out stand, Jehoshaphat knows that their odds are beyond scary. And so what he does is he falls on his face and he prays to the Lord and then he gets up and he starts a choir. And he puts this choir that he uh, gathers together out in front of his army. The choir is what leads the troops out into battle against the enemy. Despite their overwhelming odds, they put the musicians out front to go and fight this battle. And they sang in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Verse 21, they sang this. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. A posture of praise that precedes the battle is a powerful weapon. Our praise is a powerful weapon. When Israel went into battle, 
they led with the blowing of the shofar, which if you don't know what a shofar is, it's a ram's horn turned into a little trumpet. So you could imagine, imagine this scene in Second Chronicles, this army marching down the hill of Jerusalem to meet an overwhelming enemy. And they're led by the musicians. They got Francis out front singing and praising the Lord and dancing. And they got musicians out there blowing their shofars. And 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22 says, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Your praise is a powerful weapon. Our victory over the enemy is proportional to our posture of praise. Despite the present circumstances you may find yourself in, despite how you may feel about something that's going on in your life right now, despite the anticipation of the battle that may be in front of you and the victory that you don't see coming, we should praise the Lord. When you experience dire circumstances in your life, you should proceed with praise. The prophet Habakkuk, and during a, during a very bleak time in the nation of Israel, the prophet Habakkuk wrote this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Like this is utter poverty, utter ruin. Habakkuk said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Take up hope. Remember, the battle has actually already been won. We know who wins. We fight from a position of victory. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Find your strength. Be joined together with Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus and let the Lord of Lords change your perspective. He is reason enough to be praised. And you can praise him in all different ways in, in and through your life. I've experienced as many of you have the vitality of more exuberant and expressive times of worship and praise. But, you know, I've also been deeply moved by the very boring, quiet, somber times of liturgical praise. Some of us have experienced the Lord greatly in times of just silent praise. And those are all fantastic. Whatever way you connect with the Lord, enjoy it, do it. But sometimes we can get really impressed by the feelings that we feel and associate with worship. 
that we can begin to think that the main reason for our worship is experiencing feelings. And this this perspective cancels out the fundamental truth that we have been driving at this morning. We worship because of who God is. That is the reason that we worship. We worship because he is the king of kings before whom we as believers bow down to in submission. He is the great God to whom we offer our praise. He is our gracious savior who is worthy of all of our thanks and our adoration and our devotion. We have to cancel our poor perspective of praise and praise God because he is worthy of our praise. This cancel culture thing, it's not, it's actually not something new. You know about it more because of social media. It isn't something uh, that's just practiced out there in the world. We shouldn't just be thinking this morning about those people who disagree with us most sharply. Uh, we should be examining ourselves in, this, in these terms. Who have you ostracized? Who have you allowed no path of reconciliation for? Cancel culture can show up in your life. Cancel culture shows up when you are unforgiving. Who have you been unwilling to give forgiveness to? Because cancel culture allows for no grace, no chance for redemption. There's no chance for reconciliation, rehabilitation, or restoration. This isn't what God's word calls us to. Paul wrote in Colossians 3.13, he points to repentance and he commands us to forgive one another when he writes, make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, you know, the people around us, they're gonna let us down. They're not gonna live up to our expectations sometimes. Every person in your life has the potential to let you down, but we love them anyway. Paul says, make make allowance for that. Expect to be let down sometime and give grace in those moments. He says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. It's really hard to be a cancel culture Christian. Being unforgiving ostracizing others, that's antithetical to the message of the gospel. When we withhold forgiveness from others, it actually causes separation for ourselves in our own relationship with Jesus. If you came here this morning, you're separated, you feel separated from the Lord, I invite you to go to him because you've been praising the wrong things. You've been praising things that are not worthy to be praised. You know what? Jesus experienced people in the same situation and he told this woman who had given herself over to sin and shame that the Father in heaven, he's just seeking for you to worship. He's seeking worshipers. And the Father invites you right here, right now, this morning to celebrate his glory and worship. He is seeking worshipers. Consider what the scripture says about the great God that we are talking about. Let that change your perspective about him this morning. 
Let's consider the last Psalm as we close, Psalm 150. It comes after several authors in scripture have over 149 different Psalms reflected on God's ways and the trials that life brings and the miracles that have happened in their life and all of the emotions that they've felt. They've reflected for 149 songs about these things and all the writers have expressed that even in their darkest place, that God is there. David, he wrote that you all know these words, even though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I know that God is there. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. When every person in my life has turned against me, when I've been canceled, when I've been misunderstood, when I've been diminished, when I'm not experiencing forgiveness from those around me who should love me, when I've been ostracized by the people who should care the most for me, God is with me. Every human emotion that you could feel is captured here in the first 149 Psalms. And so above all, the Holy Spirit, he made sure to end with Psalm 150, to highlight praise, to emphasize that no matter what you are feeling, no matter what victory you may have achieved, no matter what depths you have sunk into, no matter what adoration or acclaim we receive in this life, if we've been persecuted or if we've been canceled, we should respond with praise the Lord. Above all, we should praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, every day of our lives, Father, I pray that you would cause us to praise you and recognize you for who you are and who your word says that you are. And Lord, let our praise be multiplied. Father, let us become even more passionate to praise you in our victories, Lord, and in our defeats, in our triumph, in our suffering. Lord, we do not want to dishonor you. We don't want to just give you our naive and reckless passions as a worthless sacrifice. Father, make us people seek to honor you with deep passion that we would truly know and walk with you, our Lord, that we praise. Amen.